I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. presents Speaky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And let me just clear my throat a little bit here. You really shouldn't eat chocolate before you go on the air. It's like one of the rules. Matt, you went to a broadcasting school. Did they tell you about that? Um, yeah, they t- they said don't eat chocolate, don't chew gum, don't. Yeah. Why? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I there was uh, some nice chocolate cake in the uh, conference room. So happy birthday to whoever's birthday it was. Great cake. All right, welcome to Spooky South Coast. Uh, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And this time of year, you know, we got to wait for the Red Sox to get over, and uh, they got over with uh, enough time for us to have an action-packed show for you. A little bit different show format tonight. There's been a number of topics over the last few weeks, and especially this week, that we've wanted to to cover, and we just really haven't had a chance because normally we bring on a guest and we're talking about a specific topic with that guest. And, you know, outside of the Week in Weird segment, there's not a lot of time to really banter things around. And because last week we were under the gun to uh, discuss the Boogeyman and Freddy Krueger and to give away those prize packs for the new Nightmare on Elm Street film, we really didn't have a lot of time to go over some of these things. So tonight we're going to take a step back and we're going to look at some of these interesting paranormal news stories that have come around uh, over the last few weeks. And we'll get your thoughts and feelings as well. You can call us anytime during the program, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 if you want to call in toll free. You can also email us, spookycrew at com. And on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, if you click on the uh, chat link, you can get involved in the live chat going on over on our friend Craig's site through that link. So, uh, And congratulations, by the way, to Craig, who announced uh, this week that they'll be starting Embracing History magazine to go along with his website and Internet show, Our History Project. Uh, They're going to be launching this magazine in February of next year. We wish him the best of luck, and we know that some of our listeners might be wanting to contribute to that magazine or may want to uh, purchase advertising in that magazine. So if you go to ourhistoryproject.com uh, or ourhistoryproject.org, embracinghistory.com, you know, all these sites, Craig's got them all set up and uh, he'll be able to get a hold of, uh, you'll be able to get a hold of them that way and join in the project. I know I'm going to help out in some way, you know, whatever they need me to do, I'll be happy to do and uh, I'm I'm more than happy Craig at any time to embrace history. Uh, especially if that history is like Marilyn Monroe, Gene Harlow, any of these. Uh, <laughs> let's see, how far back do we want to go in this history? Betty Davis. Betty White. <laughs> ah, Betty White, tonight on SNL. That's going to be a good one. forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into some of these topics that uh, we've been wanting to cover. Uh, and I'll, I'll go through some of these stories, uh, and we, could, we can kick them around. This is one that caught my eye. Not only because of, I don't know, normally we talk about cover-ups when we're talking about the paranormal, and the idea behind that is we're, we're trying to uh, expose conspiracies that try to keep the information down, that try to 
uh, keep us from finding out all the facts. But this is an interesting story that came out of the Daily Mail in the U.K. Uh, the day police tried to save the Loch Ness Monster from harpoon killers. Uh, 70 years ago, the idea of the Loch Ness Monster was so beguiling that ministers considered setting a trap and a leading policeman appealed for Whitehall help to protect the creature. Whitehall is like the, the FBI yeah. of, of England. Archive documents reveal uh, how William Fraser, then chief constable of Invernessshire, and I, I always pronounce that wrong. Is it Invernessshire? Invernessshire. Yeah, Invernessshire. Invernessshire. Was so concerned for the mythical monster, he wrote to the Scottish office. In the 1938 letter, Mr. Fraser revealed an influx of Nessie spotters had been drawn by a flurry of grainy photos purporting to show the creature's neck. And he warned of a hunting party led by a Londoner called Peter Kent, intent on capturing the monster, quote, dead or alive. He said, Mr. Peter Kent visited Fort Augustus on Friday, August 12th, and was seen there by my officer, to whom he stated that he was having a special harpoon gun made, and that he was to return with some 20 experienced men on August 22nd for the purpose of hunting the monster down. I have, however, caused Mr. Peter Kent to be warned of the desirability of having the creature left alone, but whether my warning will have the desired effect or not remains to be seen. That's in the letter from uh, from Fraser. His type letter concluded that there is some strange creature in Loch Ness seems now beyond doubt, but that the police have any power to protect it is very doubtful. Five years earlier, a question was tabled in the House of Commons asking whether, in the interest of science, an investigation should be launched. Ministers were skeptical, but the documents in the National Archives of Scotland show that consideration was given to stationing observers around the lock to capture Nessie on camera and to whether it would be possible to trap the monster without injury. Given that Loch Ness is 23 miles long and a mile wide, holding more water than any other lock, this would have been no mean feat. A spokesman for the archives, which included the Nessie files in its An Open Secret exhibition, said, In the end, it was felt that as the monster provided interest and amusement, it would be better to let it continue to do so than to kill it, or the tales told about it. Sadly, it seems the notoriously elusive creature is becoming even more withdrawn. Last year, there was only one credible sighting. So... This is very interesting because we, we talk about uh, the desire to keep the truth a secret. In this case, it seemed like they were willing to accept the Loch Ness Monster as truth, and they just wanted to protect it from, from anybody that would come there and hunt it. Matt Moniz, you've been, you've been to the U.K., right? Correct. You know more about this than, than Matt Costa and myself. Are we talking about – I'm assuming that in Vernishir here and where, where Loch Ness is – it must be pretty pretty remote, you know, country rural setting. Yeah, I I didn't get to Loch Ness itself, but mm -hmm. I've been up into the Scotland area, and uh, yeah, it's fairly remote. And and we're talking about a place that's probably not high on people's tourism list, with the exception of the possibility of a Loch Ness monster sighting. Well, yeah, believe it or not, the area from what I gather from the locals uh, said that more. Tourists from outside the country go to visit there than people living in the country. So it it must be one of those situations where you know tourism was a big part of it. And if somebody if there was a monster and somebody was to capture it uh, and then remove it from the lock, then there goes this whole cottage industry. Correct. No pun intended, because I know it's a lot of cottages around the right. lake. But you know there goes their whole claim to fame. Well, the, the the lock is also used for naval testing. It's one of the big naval testing areas for the U.K., believe it or not, because it's a controlled atmosphere. They know the depths, the width, and stuff like that. They used to do uh, lots of um, sonar training in the lock. 
But interestingly enough, nothing ever bounced back off the monster. Uh, not completely true. Okay. Uh, they've had a number of... Well, I know there's been some anomalies Emily, down yeah, there. Yeah, anomalous you know, returns, yes. But, uh, you know, it's not like Nessie's raised her fin and said that was me. Yeah. We have a call on the line here. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hi, Tim. It's Keith. Hey, here Keith. at Slater Mill with Oracle Paranormal. How's it going out there? It's going good. It's been uh, quite an adventure so far. A lot of activity happening tonight? or? Well, I'm going to put you on with... Uh, Greg Best, and he's going to explain some of the things we've been experiencing and what we've been using. Sure. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? This is Greg Best. Hey, Greg, nice to have you on the show. Yeah. Oh, we uh, did quite a quite the experience here tonight, I'll tell you. We've been through all the houses and uh, tried a couple of experiments I've been wanting to try. And uh, while we were recording upstairs, we got a sound of a machine uh, it, running in the background, we actually came down here, and I think we duplicated it. Uh, Keith fired up one of the machines, and it sounds almost exactly um, like what we got. Oh wow! In the, in the recording there. So, what what, yeah. is, what are some of the ex, uh, the experiments that you wanted to try out? Um, what I've been dying to try out is we have I, we just got back from the wheel room, and uh, I have a ultrasonic listener and it what it does is it hears frequencies above 20,000 hertz and it translates it down to almost like a pitch shifter so that we can hear these frequencies and I've I've already experimented with sub frequencies and now I'm, I want to look at the ultrasonic uh level and um you know we had a because what happened was we slowed down a few, I mean, uh, yeah, we slowed down a few recordings and we had EVP that were actually coming through super fast. Mm -hmm. So we, they, it, you know, gave us the idea of looking into the supersonic, I mean, the ultrasonic range for um, EVP. So we just went over there with that and I recorded it on a CD quality recorder. And uh, I'm dying. To, I, I did see the level indicator move a few times while nobody was speaking. So I'm uh, dying to see what's on there. It's really interesting when you can get into a location like that and put some of these theories that you have in mind to the test and oh, to, yeah. to be able to do it in such a unique uh, setting, you know, instead of having to worry about doing it in somebody's private residence or yep. or yep. in a place where, there, you know, there could be a lot of contamination. You've got a lot of control there. Yeah, most of the time, see, we all of the, like, we do a lot of, we, we invent a lot of our own um alone our own tools in there based on the evidence that we we gather in the field here you know as i was telling keith we're not just uh ghost hunters we're paranormal researchers so mm -hmm. this evidence doesn't just go and sit on the shelf we actually pull this evidence out we analyze it we tear it apart and uh you know we break it down into its elements and then you know for it, for it, it furthers the development of the tools that we uh design uh, where where are you guys based out of uh danielson connecticut so, uh, so it's a, a little bit of a drive for you. Uh, I'm used to it. I work for uh, Ocean State Job Lot, and I, and I work for all of them, so I travel everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, definitely uh, keep us up to date with everything that goes on, and, and let us know if uh, any more uh, activity happens, and we'll, maybe we'll have you guys on the show to present your findings. Oh yeah, excellent. Um, right. Yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna take about two weeks to review everything and uh, you know compile it, and we'll know better then. All right. Well, right. great talking with you, Greg. Good luck tonight. Yeah, you uh, as well. Everybody stay safe out there. All right, you too. All right, tell Keith we say good night. I will. Bye-bye. Right, bye. All right, so there you go, Oracle Paranormal and uh, Keith Johnson out in Slater Mill. And if you haven't been out there to experience the paranormal for yourself, 
Uh, just go to their website at slatermill.org, and you'll be able to find out more about the mill itself and about the different events that they have going on there. Uh, one thing they don't have, though, is they don't have a sea monster living in any of the mill ponds. So, as far as we at know, yeah, at least that we don't we don't know if they do. But um, back on the idea of the, of the Loch Ness monster, uh, we see this a lot now, where the paranormal is becoming kind of a a, a, a gift shop notion for a lot of places. It's another avenue of publicity. It's another avenue of advertising. It's gift. Yeah, and it's it's a good marketing ploy for uh, historical sites. We work with a number of historical sites that also happen to have activity going on, and in some cases we have to convince them to use that as a as a marketing tool. And in other cases, you know, they're they're just so excited to have it happen that they're already on board before we've even played them back in EVP. <laughs> so uh, we've seen it go a lot of different ways. Uh, as an investigator, Matt Moniz, what do you see as the the downside to playing up the paranormal aspect of a, of a location? Um, one of the main downsides would be um, you you got people that would want to cause problems in it because of either disbelief or what what have you um, to detract away as a means to detract away from the site. You know, it's historical significance and stuff like that. There, there are probably several others, but that I think would be the worst. Somebody, somebody would use it as a focal point to um, cause problems. The, one of the things that I'm the most concerned about when these long-standing historical sites become paranormal hotspots is the fact that you might be playing up something that. Is well significant. Anytime you can document the existence of the paranormal, I think it's significant. But it might not be a sufficient level of activity enough to start claiming come to haunted such and such place. I mean, there may be a few anomalous occurrences, there may be a few beyond explanation incidents, but that doesn't necessarily mean a place is haunted. It doesn't mean that this place is jumping with paranormal activity. Um, so. Is it a bad thing to overplay that aspect of things? I mean, especially... It can be, yeah. I mean, if it's not really fully documented as being haunted. I'm talking to places that we know are... Yeah. Well, I just wonder, too, how many places out there have suddenly become haunted because it's, you know, the happening thing without any documentation at all. You know, maybe it's just, hey, let's try this. This is something that might help us sell a few more tickets, uh, book a few more tours. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of places out there, though, that are hurting for tourism money anyway, just because of the economy and because uh, uh, my personal opinion is that a lot of the younger generations are having trouble getting interested in history. And I'm sure Craig Anderson can, can back that up, that it's, you know, it's one of those things where this, in, until you bring the story to them and show them how interesting it is, it's not something that they're out there looking to pursue themselves. I don't know. I, I hate to sound like a crotchety old man, but, you know, the, the kids today, they just don't understand. <laughs> so if you can grab their attention with something like, hey, come check out the ghosts, and we'll also tell you about your town's history at the same time, then it's a valuable teaching tool in that way. And I, I don't think there can be any harm in, in that regard. You know, come for the ghosts, stay for the history. Yeah. Uh, but when you're talking about taking money to have that paranormal experience and it's not something that's been fully documented, that's a different story. 
And we see a number of uh, places where one paranormal group comes in. We could almost consider ourselves guilty of it a little bit ourselves. But one paranormal group comes in, conducts an investigation, gets some results, and then two weeks later, paranormal tours. <laughs> yeah. I understand it, what you mean. And it just, it, it just, to me, it's shaky ground. It's always shaky ground to take money for the paranormal tours. That's why so many of these uh, events that happen are make their bones and, and have their successes based on the speakers they bring in, the presentations that are given at the time, the the, the chance to interact, and you know the the investigation part is just a side note of it. But just as you can't charge money for an investigation. If you're a paranormal group, I don't think you can charge money for somebody to come and experience the paranormal if you have a haunted location without entering into a slippery slope. When you have what what I would term as the historical haunted tours, I'll give you a good example. Um, uh, like Derek Bartlett and Capers mm-hmm. down there, where they do their haunted tours. That's a haunted history tour. They go around You're telling, paying for the history. You're paying for the history. They're not there to show you ghosts or nothing. They're telling you what happened. That That's something I have no problem with. And it may just, just so happen that you see, yeah, if you, you have do, the experience you do. They're, not, the they're not there to show you ghosts. Exactly. They're there to show you where, they, where this has happened. Okay, when you get these other things where, you know, come in and see, and see our ghosts and, you know, that that's the ones you got to watch out for because number one, ghosts don't perform on command. Okay, we've discovered that they act up when when whenever they want to or don't want to. Or is it that they want to, or if they have the ability to? You but know, you understand yeah. what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah, the, you've got the people that are, you know, trying to educate people. You know, like like what the like what I said. And then you got these other people that are trying to cash in on, like you said, the popularity. Well, normally when you do a, an event, uh, let's say, for example, we were going to bring uh, David Ortiz here to WBSM for an autograph signing. Now, everybody wants to come and get an autograph. Well, maybe not now. <laughs> but everybody wants to get an autograph from David Ortiz. So they all come. All right, Dustin Pedroia. We'll use Dustin Pedroia. So everybody wants to come down and have Dustin Pedroia sign their autograph. Whenever there's an event like that, and it's something where it's going to be a charged money event, where you're going to pay money at the door to get in, to wait in line, to meet Dustin Pedroia, have him sign your baseball card, and then you move on, they always have a little note, card subject to change. Right. Because uh, you can't always guarantee that things are going to go as smoothly as you think they are. And that's something that almost has to be uh, understood with every paranormal investigation that you pay money for, a card subject to change. We can't be sure if anybody's going to, any, any spirits are going to come and be a part of this. Well, I was going to put a caveat to uh, what I had also had said about, you know, come in and look for our ghosts. There are some historical places that uh, it, you're you're also getting the education of the history. And I'm talking these little fly-by-night things, things that, things that are uh, just looking to make the money on, on a, an alleged well, reputation. Let, let, let me throw a curveball into that. Look at Waverly Hills. Okay. Okay, now here's a place where... Uh, a team, a group, can go there and can rent the place out for the night for the purpose of conducting an investigation. And you're paying for solely the op- for the investigation. But you're, you're paying for the opportunity to be in that location. Exactly. And that's the other aspect of it is you're, you're just getting access to the facility. See, and that's there's, – there's so many 
little bits of minutiae about this. And it's it's amazing because it's unlike any other uh, industry where you will charge money for, be it an event or be it the use of a facility, because what's implied is so random right? almost that I, I'm just waiting for the day when a lawsuit – comes about because of one of these. I didn't get to or, see my ghost. I want exactly right. I you mean, know, we spent three thousand dollars to rent out this location, and nothing happened the whole time we were there. Just to just just want to see how that one goes down in court. If, well, like I said, you can't get them to perform on command. There are some places like we know that activity has been recorded and known for a long time. Lizzie Borden's, like where Keith is at Slater Mill, years and years of you know places like that. I can understand spending some money to go in for the chance to potentially see something because it's a documented place. These are documented places. We know that activity has happened there in the past and material has been recorded. When you have other things like uh, th- that has no history that's charging money, how do you how do you justify it? You know, you, you really can't, you know, without any what, what's known as patents, no, no, no preceding... Uh, documentation it's 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 more like somebody setting something up just to make some bucks and that's definitely something that's going to happen as this gains more popularity and we're, we're seeing it now but it's going to get increasingly worse uh because as the economy gets a little tougher which right. seems to be the case you're going to see people that are looking more for the chance to make that quick couple grand and then move on we're going to see these scam artists who set up you know investigations and then take off and I don't know. I think this is this might be the FCC direct line calling us and telling us to. We did something wrong. <laughs> us? Something wrong? All right. Why don't we take a break, and I'll see if there's actually anybody on the phone, but I doubt it. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. AM 1420 WBSM, New Bedford's home for Red Sox baseball. The 2010 season is in full swing, and you won't miss a minute of the action. 3-2 pitch, and Tech swings, drives one to left, high and deep, back by the scoreboard, and into the monster seats, a home run. From Fenway, or from the road, every hit and every play. Red Sox baseball, presented by Advanced Financial Group. Fall River Ford, Leonard Hair Transplant Associates, Kitchens and Baths, and by the Broken Team. Swinging a high fly ball to center, up and back, turning around, looking, looking, it's gone! Red Sox Baseball on AM 1420 WBSM. Hey, honey, have you driven by the Mill Pond Station lately? Yeah, what's going on over there? Well, the Mill Pond Station is getting some major renovations. I do remember the manager, Jack, mentioning that they were going to expand the store and stock even more wine and spirits. Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet. Can I still get my six-pack? Of course you can. All the old favorites will still be there. It's just a larger selection and more parking. Get to know the new Mill Pond Station, 2569 Cranberry Highway, Wareham, and watch for weekly specials, wine tastings, and more wine and spirits than ever before. 
It won't be long now. With the warm weather on the way, it's time to start thinking about pest control. Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care are your only pest control choice. Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care provide the highest quality service in the pest control and lawn care industry today. They can solve just about any pest or lawn care problem your home or business may encounter. Let them create a custom plan to meet your needs. Call 774-955-7966 or visit them online at nepestfree.com. Attention, whiplash and car accident sufferers. There are new treatment options in healthcare available to treat whiplash and other ailments, and they are now available locally to you. Call 1 800 716 8954 to find out about the latest treatments available for whiplash and hey, other honey, ailments. Have you driven by the Mill Pond Station lately? Yeah, what's going on over there? Well, the Mill Pond Station is getting some major renovations. I do remember the manager, Jack, mentioning that they were going to expand the store and stock even more wine and spirits. Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet. Can I still get my Pack? Of course you can. All the old favorites will still be there. It's just a larger selection and more parking. Get to know the new Mill Pond Station, 2569 Cranberry Highway, Wareham, and watch for weekly specials, wine tastings, and more wine and spirits than ever before. It won't be long now. With the warm weather on the way, it's time to start thinking about... Pest Control. Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care are your only pest control choice. Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care provide the highest quality service in the pest control and lawn care industry today. They can solve just about any pest or lawn care problem your home or business may encounter. Let them create a custom plan to meet your needs. Call 774-955-7966 or visit them online at nepestfree.com. Hey, honey, have you driven by the Mill Pond Station lately? Yeah, what's going on over there? Well, the Mill Pond Station is getting some major renovations. I do remember the manager, Jack, mentioning that they were going to expand the store and stock even more wine and spirits. Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet. Can I still get my six-pack? Of course you can. All the old favorites will still be there. It's just a larger selection and more parking. Get to know the new Mill Pond Station, 2569 Cranberry Highway, Wareham, and watch for weekly specials, wine tastings, and more wine and spirits than ever before. I expected it it to won't be. be long now. Hey, you know. With the warm weather on the way, it's time to start you know? thinking about they have over pest four control. Of Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care are your only pest control choice. Northeast Pest Control and Lawn Care provide the highest quality service in the pest well, control and lawn care industry today. They can solve just about any pest or lawn care problem your home or business may encounter. Let them create oh, a custom the plan to meet your needs. Call 774-955-7966 or visit them online at nepestfree.com. Attention, whiplash and car accident sufferers. There are new treatment options in healthcare available to treat whiplash and other ailments, and they are now available locally to you. Call 1 800 716 8954 to find out about the latest treatments available for whiplash and other ailments. They are now providing this care locally, so call 1 800 716 8954. Again, whiplash and car accident sufferers. Call 1 800 716 8954. 1 800 716 8954. Do you have a sinus headache? Here's one way to find out. Wiggle your head left and right for a few seconds. If these movements make your headache worse, it could be your sinuses. Sinus headaches can lead to pain in the forehead, cheeks, and nose with sudden movements. Tylenol Sinus can help. It provides more complete relief than a decongestant alone to relieve your sinus pressure plus the pain that comes with it so you can feel better. Feel better. Tylenol Sinus. Use only as directed. 
Do you, are you familiar with the famous hypnotist and psychic Paul Golden? G-O-L-D-I-N. Me either. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz. Hey, MC Hammer, that is not techno. <laughs> Those girls specifically asked for yeah. us to play some techno, and that is classic rock. I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... I don't have it, any... Uh, it might have been the techno of its day. I don't have any... Uh, what's his name? Oh. I don't know. Moby. 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 I don't know. <laughs> Moby. It's the only or techno Paul guy. Paul Oakenfold. No, oh my. no chemical <laughs> brothers. No. That's... <laughs> 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 That's that's called that's called my mall song. Whenever you walk down like the the North Dartmouth Mall and you walk by Rave and all those other <laughs> stores, it's like <laughs> it's all the same song. Everyone, it sounds a little bit different no matter which store you go to, but it's essentially the same song. Like I said, rap. No, no, no. This is not rap. Rap, rap. Good rap has intelligence behind it. This is just mindless beats, which uh, Matt Costa used to make. In the shed. That's why we call him the silent assassin. (laughs) All right. Well, before we uh, head into the news break coming up at the top of the hour, there is one thing that I wanted to cover here. Just a little bit of uh, information about a show coming out tomorrow night. All My Children and former Guiding Light star Ricky Paul Golden searches for the truth and paranormal on the special Seeing vs. Believing, Sunday, May 2nd at 8 p.m. on TLC. Golden and his friend Jeff Gertman, the host of the Travel Channel's Travel Spies program, go on a quest to find the truth behind paranormal activities and unexplained phenomena. Golden, the son of famous hypnotist and psychic Paul Golden, is the believer, while Gertman is the skeptic. Armed with his father's journal, Golden leads Gertman on a trip to decide what's real and what's not. So uh, he basically has his father's grail diary, and he's <laughs> he's leading this guy around. Uh, Matt Bonese, have you ever heard of famous hypnotist and psychic Paul Golden? Not really. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to say I haven't either, but uh, that doesn't mean that he's not famous and I'm just unaware. But uh, So now we have a soap opera star getting involved in the paranormal. It, I, I don't really disparage anybody that wants to get out and, and explore this, and if you have the opportunity to have a TV show created around it, that's good, too. I just think that the general mainstream media is going to have a field day with the terms soap opera star slash paranormal investigator. It just seems Why couldn't like, it be the Swedish bikini team or something? Well, why, I mean, why couldn't it be like Robert De Niro? At least an actor that they're going to have, you know, respect for. and say, you, know, you know how the media treats soap opera stars. But, uh, hey... I, I guess having Jackie Salone as a mom didn't really hurt Sly's career. Maybe it, uh, maybe it hurt Frank. <laughs> but uh, also hurting Frank Salone, a lack of any talent. <laughs> is all. Hey, uh, Far From Over is one of my favorite songs of all time, okay? So, uh, Frank Salone, if you're out there and you're listening, which I'm sure you are, I respect you. Even if nobody else does. So, uh, but, I mean, this is, uh, it's just another paranormal show special coming out there there's so many of them now it's it's definitely its own uh its own niche within television programming and it seems to be that it's only going to keep growing 
Uh, I do like the idea of pairing the believer and the skeptic together and having it be two established television personalities already uh, makes it a little bit easier to sell it to a crowd, I think, than if you bring on, hey, here's this guy that you've never heard of and he's the believer. Here's this other guy you've never heard of. He's the skeptic. Take our word for it. You know, people feel like they've already made a connection with these particular people and so therefore it may be able to swallow a little bit more uh, depending on which side they're they're coming from. That being said, you know, I wouldn't want soap operas and the paranormal to get any more tied into each other than they are. Because anybody that's in this field knows the paranormal is oh. a soap opera unto itself. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the ghosts. But, uh, we, I mean, we've seen a lot of this paranormal influence. I don't watch soap operas, but I can tell you that I know that a lot of these... This new trend in paranormal has uh, reached its fingers into different soap opera storylines. There's been demonic possessions and, you know, there was a whole soap opera about paranormal stuff, basically. Uh, it was like uh, it was like a Dark Shadows for the 90s, only with more camp and humor. So, I don't know, my mom used to watch it. So, there you go. That's my breakdown of uh, soap operas. If you'd like to read more, visit SoapOperaDigest.com. Click on the little link of my face, <laughs> and uh, I'll give you my breakdown of everything that's happening on Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, uh, Another World. Is that still on Another World? <laughs> I don't think so. A different world? A different world. We'll find out which girl Dwayne Wayne's <laughs> macking on this week. And, uh, and also we'll find out whatever happened to uh, Sinbad, where his, where his career go. That's paranormal. End of itself. All right, we're coming up on the news. We're goofing around here. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about a very interesting uh, thing that happened. Imagine a Nobel Prize winning scientist being disinvited from a scientific conference. Why? Well, because he believes in the pursuit of the paranormal. We'll talk about that coming up after the news, along with some other news stories. And we'll also take your calls as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. Usually the part when people start screaming. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I'm not afraid. You All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast Hour number two, or half hour two of three. The Red Sox always mess me up in that regard. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Say something so they know that you actually are there. Yo, yo. Thank you. And science advisor Matt Moniz. I actually was asked once if, uh, you know, everything is automatic and you're not actually a real person. So we just want to make sure. Where'd you get those <laughs> Sennheiser headphones? Are those studio uh, property? Christmas. Really? Yeah. Those are beautiful. I like those. They're a little bulky. 
That's all right, though. They look like cans. Sorry, right. <laughs> I like ones that look like cans. It's a lot better. By the way, your hat's inside out. I can read the tag on the back. Yeah. This is fascinating for the listeners. Yes. But uh, what is fascinating is the paranormal. It's for which all the listeners that are watching us. What are we talking about? <laughs> on Spooky TV. Uh, that that didn't work out so well. We keep getting requests to bring that back. and you know They just want to see us dance again. I think they do. What we need is we need somebody out there, especially in the Fairhaven area would probably be the easiest, but you know, some local person in the area that wants to produce a television version of the show. We'll open the door to you every Saturday night. You can come in here and film us. Make the DVD, give us a copy so we can air it on our respective town's cable systems, and then you can, you know, go and air it on yours, and we'll have a televised version of it. We'll spread the word, like 30-odd minutes and Penny Dreadful and all of our other friends, from Cable Access Network to Cable Access Network, and we'll get it out there. We just need somebody else, as usual, to do the work for us. <laughs> and that's how this show works best, when people do the work for us. If all we have to do is show up for two hours <laughs> on a Saturday night, we are golden. Any extra work... That goes beyond that, it's 50-50 <laughs> at best. But uh, at least here, while we're here in the studio for these for these uh, 120 minutes or so every Saturday night, we'll, we'll give you our best. And uh, speaking of our best, I'd like to talk about our best mind of the current generation, Stephen Hawking. Uh, he said some interesting comments this week that the general public were all over. And Matt Moniz and I were already discussing this on the way in here, but let me just give you the breakdown of what happened. Renowned British astrophysicist Stephen Hawking says intelligent alien life... He doesn't sound British. (laughs) Says intelligent alien life forms almost certainly exist, but trying to communicate with them is, quote, too risky. Their arrival, he says, would be like Columbus landing in the Americas, quote, which didn't turn out very well for the Native Americans. The 68-year-old Hawking speculates on alien life in the new documentary that's been airing on the Discovery Channel, in which he says advanced life forms may be nomads looking to conquer and colonize. So this is, you know, breaking news to, to Brian Williams and, and uh, Katie Couric and all these other mainstream news outlets uh, that Stephen Hawking is saying that, you know, we need to be fearful of contact with extraterrestrials. Matt Moniz, I know that this is probably blowing your mind right now that, you know, you never really would have thought that it was dangerous to interact with these extraterrestrials and that all the work that you've been doing in this field for so many years, you know, it's it's all been sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows everywhere. It boggles my mind. I mean, you can go back to the Brookings report from 1961-62 where they said basically the same thing. It's something almost 50 years ago that you know came up with the same idea and is what the current basis of why we have you know the way we the outlook that we do on the current subject. You know, this is not a new idea. This has been floating around for a long 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 time. This is uh only news is because he Happen to say it. Well, and also it seems like the, the I guess we could call them case studies, but these abductions, uh, these interactions that have happened between humans and extraterrestrials, whether you want to believe them or not, uh, a number of the stories have had a negative slant to them, that, you know, the, these beings are something to be feared and that they are not exactly uh, benevolent. And so all Stephen Hawking is doing is putting an academic... 
uh, perspective on something that, you know, in practicality has been the case for, for decades. Yeah. Uh, you're pretty much right. I mean, it's just because he has the initials after his name that people are listening to. I mean, not that the people in the Brookings Institute were any slouches. They were some of the best minds of their day. And like I said, they came up with the same results 50 years ago, but nobody, you know, mentions that. And also, it's, it's not really a, it's not that profound of a statement for Stephen Hawking to make either. I mean, I guess the real news is the fact that... It wouldn't be that profound for somebody like Joe the Plumber. I mean, it's... I'm just just saying that, you know, they're making a big deal because, oh, Stephen Hawking said this. I think it's more because he acknowledged the potential existence for extraterrestrial life, which is also nothing new. He said that in the past before. But because he's saying it, and he's saying that we need to fear it, that, oh, well, if Stephen Hawking thinks we should be afraid of it, then I guess we, we definitely have to be. But if, you know good friends of this program who have been repeatedly terrorized by these beings tell us that we have to fear for them. Well, you know, eh. Yeah. Maybe it's just how, maybe maybe they just don't like them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're very selective, apparently. But, again, this goes against uh, what a lot of the instances are in today's scientific world of, at least he's willing to talk about it when a lot of them aren't. Uh, a lot of people within the scientific community, the educational community, not willing to discuss the paranormal. Ha! But uh, we've got changes afoot in that regard. And next week on the program, hopefully if everything works out, you're going to hear from a professor who is actually teaching the paranormal as part of his course this past spring semester at Ashland University. Uh, Dr. Jeff Teal hopefully will join us next Saturday night with a few of his students to talk about their course of study uh, in this past semester, and they're presenting at 4 p.m. on Tuesday uh, an event called Ghost Watch 2010. It's the metaphysics students and associate professor Jeff Thiel's class. It will take place in the Hawkins Canard Student Center Auditorium at Ashland University. So uh, you can just go to their website, Ashland, I think it's ashland.edu, to find out more about the actual event on Tuesday. But uh, we will have them on next week to talk about how they approach the course uh, we'll talk to Dr. Teal about how he decided to uh, teach this and in, in what manner he went about doing it because that's the biggest issue is there is no real syllabus for teaching the paranormal within educational. You know, if, if you want to look at the work that yourself and other researchers have done and you can incorporate that, but nobody has ever really taught this course as a general overview. We have had, you know, the Duke University Department. Right. There's been another a number of other colleges that have had parapsychology departments, but nothing across the board like Dr. Teal has been doing with his students. Uh, they've been covering near-death experiences, alien abductions, ghost encounters, both with and without intelligence, um, remote viewing. So they've they've done a real survey course on the paranormal. So we'll talk to them next week. Hmm. I wonder if I could become a professor at that at a local college. These local colleges, you'd be lucky if you could become a professor of chemistry, and you're a chemist. Yeah. Actually, education's a safe job. You should probably look into that. Education, making drugs. Education, making drugs. Either way, we need both. Right. So you'll you'll never be out of work. But we're talking about the idea of science accepting the paranormal, and that's something that we come back to all the time on this show. Well, here's probably the biggest story that came out of the last week. And this came from the Great Beyond blog at nature.com. 
A strange case of physics versus the paranormal has surfaced via the pages of the Times Higher Education newspaper. A Nobel Prize-winning scientist was left fuming after he and two others were invited to a workshop only to have their invitations withdrawn due to their occasional dabbling in the paranormal. The workshop in question is entitled 21st Century Directions in De Broglie Bohm Theory and Beyond. I'm pronouncing that right. To be hosted by the Towler Institute, a very pretty-looking building in Tuscany owned by the University of Cambridge researcher Mike Towler. According to a posting on the website of Brian Josephson, head of the Mind Matter Unification Project at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge and a Nobel laureate, he was disinvited by a letter from conference organizer Anthony Valenti of Imperial College London that read, and here's just one quote from it, it has come to my attention that one of your principal research interests is the paranormal. Nothing personal, of course. It's purely an intellectual matter. So uh, there's, this story kind of summarizes exactly what went on, but we actually have the text from Brian Josephson's website. Uh, now, Brian Josephson is a, a, again, he's a Nobel Prize winning scientist. We've, I've been in contact with him in the past. Uh, via email, we've tried to get him on the show. He had some concerns about coming on, and rightly so, being in that field. You know, when you start promoting yourself as a paranormal personality, it just invites right or wrong. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, we we don't want it to have to be that situation. We don't want it to be that way. But the reality is, is it's hard to shake a stigma that's placed on you by your colleagues. And so I understand the trepidation about coming on. That and the fact that he lives in the U.K., and there's a big time difference with coming on a show 10 p.m. on Saturday nights. But uh, Brian Josephson put on his website, uh, certain invitees to a workshop of the foundations of, of physics received from the organized letters withdrawing their invitations. And the letter to Brian Josephson said, and here's more of the... Quote, it has come to my attention that one of your principal research interests is in the paranormal. In my view, it would not be appropriate for someone with such research interests to attend a scientific conference. Hold back there. Wait one minute, Moniz. <laughs> While a similar letter to David Pete, who is a, a colleague of, of Brian Josephson, it has come to my attention that you are the author of books on Jungian synchronicity and quantum physics and on connections between Native American Indian thought and modern physics. In my view, it is not, an appro is not appropriate for an author of such books to attend a scientific conference. So, Anthony, Anthony Valentini, in my view, you are an ass. And you can you can put put that in a letter if you have to and mail it to him. Uh, these letters illustrate... Uh, this but it is not personal and it is purely an intellectual matter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, this, and Josephson writes that these letters illustrate, well, the defensive paranoid attitudes of members of the scientific community, such as those who pressed for this action to be taken. For such people, science equates to, quote, closed-minded inquiry in the light of which their action is in no way surprising. Now, Brian Josephson, Nobel laureate in physics... Uh, who in the past year has been given invited special lectures on his work at Freiburg University's Institute of Advanced Studies, uh, the Lowborough University. And in neither talk was there more than casual reference to the paranormal. David Peet has a Ph.D. in physics from Liverpool University. He has collaborated with David Bohm, whose work uh, the workshop is concerned, and lectured on the subtleties of Bohm's ideas. He co-authored with Bohm the book Science, Order, and Creativity. So... It seems to me that if the work is on, if the conference is on Bohm's work, then David Pete would have every right to be there, being that he worked closely with him and co-authored a book with him, and 
Brian Josephson won a Nobel Prize for physics. You kind of want somebody that won a Nobel Prize for physics to attend your conference as well. So, I don't know. It just seems to me like... uh, To me, it seems like a case of sour grapes, people that apparently can't keep up with these other guys. Is it is it the fact that they just I can't speak for Anthony Valentini because I don't know. I'm sure he's a very learned man to be in the position that he's in. But sometimes that's that's the problem. They they wind up getting too learned. But how much work does it take to really investigate what it is that these two gentlemen, uh Dr. Pete and and Dr. Josephson have done with the work in the paranormal field and to find out what the, where they're coming from and not just Attaching that stigma because the word paranormal appears on their website. It's it's that taboo word. Like I said, I've I've dealt with that kind of stigma for most of my career and through my schooling and stuff like that. Like I said, and every time I come into a, a situation like that with coworkers or other um, you know professors and stuff like that, you know, if there's a problem, show me where it has been scientifically proven that these things are wrong. Or, or don't or scientifically exist. disproven that they you, either yeah. way, but no, I mean, is it a is it a fear that it's a a, a science that they a, a, a scientific pursuit will say that they can't control and therefore justify? And I know we've talked in the past that it's all about where research money can come from, right. and because I think that in this day and age and the interest level in the paranormal, somebody could find a way to make some money off. The paranormal is a scientific pursuit. First, it's um, cart before the horse thing, and unfortunately, doing science for the sake of science is no longer. Well, done that's the thing; they're not going to get right. major grants, which is what they depend on. To right, fund and their that's research. unfortunately what it would take to to really do these subjects right. And uh, these subjects were tossed in the in the scientific closet back in the early days of. Um, shall we call it, the Enlightenment period. It was just one of these things, well, we can't really explain this. It's tied into the rest of this somehow. We're not sure. We don't know how. We'll just set it aside for later and look at it or ignore it. And science itself has, um, you know, been caught with their pants down on this because they haven't actually applied scientific process to it to, to, to validate and say, no, this isn't, or yes, this is. It's just been shoved to the side, and it's been, you know, labeled with a stigma, unfortunately. And now nobody can actually do anything with it because it's already been labeled as such. There's no actual scientific background to, you know, to back it up, but it's still there. The other problem, too, is that it can't be science if the people that are actually conducting the experiments and trying to prove or disprove it are grocery store stock boys and truck drivers and plumbers. Well, here's here's a real kicker for you. 90% of, or if not more of our inventions and in science uh, advances are done by people outside of science. Well, and for what reason? How are they able to create these out of inventions? Necess- out of necessity. And application, application. practical application. application. And to say, well, it can't exist if I can't recreate it in a lab, well... It's an applied science. Not all applied sciences are applied in the laboratory. Correct. So you need to actually get out there and try it for yourself. And I don't know. I, I If you 
take even the most hard-headed skeptic, everybody says, okay, if you have a hard-headed disbeliever, a hard-headed you know, person that's just not going to have their mind changed on it, and you let them have their own experience, that's going to change their mind. I don't think that that's always the case. It's uh, not that simple. Everyone that I've ever brought to places and had them have experiences have become avid, and I repeat, avid if not almost rabid believers after that in trying to find out more. Okay, what it's that sudden aha moment. Well, wanting oh, to find I've out been, more for sure. Yeah, oh, I've been lied to. What else am I missing? What else don't I know? You know what I'm saying? I, I just think that to, to disinvite somebody from an academic scientific conference because they put the word paranormal on their website and they spend some of their time pursuing it. I mean, obviously, it's not Brian Josephson's life, or else he wouldn't have won a Nobel Prize in physics. Obviously, it's uh, it's it's not people. The, people would call it in a in another day prejudice. It is no, it is not another day. You can call that that today. That's what it is. It's it's a it's a blatant prejudice against people that dabble in the paranormal and i on the other side of things as somebody who is a believer in the paranormal and wants to see it more actively pursued the fact that we have a nobel prize winner and somebody of the caliber also of dr pete that want to go out there and 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 look into the paranormal only helps our cause okay now let's see if they disinvite somebody like hawkins for what he just said earlier how is that different well i mean that might be no seriously how is that different He's not actually out there looking to prove it or disprove it. He's not putting his scientific reputation on the line with the paranormal. He's basically just making a comment of basically saying what's common sense. If the universe is that large, we can't be the only intelligent creatures out there. And if we can get off our planet, somebody else can get off theirs. I mean, that's almost like saying, hey, it's safe to go when the light is green. You know, it's kind of just... Assumed. And at this point, you know, for Stephen Hawking to say that, again, I can see where some people see that it's a big deal, but I I don't see it as a big deal. And I'm sure the scientific community doesn't see it as a big deal. You know, the media did because it was a nice soundbite. But to the scientific community, they're like, so what, Hawking? Any one of us would have said that. We're willing to go that far. But to say that there's things on this planet interacting with us or to say that there's things not of this plane that we can interact with, then, you know, that's a huge leap. I, I, I see your point, but I just think there's a huge leap between Hawking's comments and, and, and what these gentlemen have studied and what they've done. In translation, they're making these people pariah for actually doing their job of going out and looking. Well, yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. Uh, now... Again, if you're holding a conference, then I suppose you have every right to decide who should go and who shouldn't. Uh, but to, to to slap them in the face with information like this. Uh, I was going to say, if it doesn't pertain to what you're doing, what does it matter? I mean, suppose they you know, were into various types of dog breeding. Oh, we don't like that particular breed of dog. You can't come. I think they might be afraid maybe that uh, – it's going to turn into uh, maybe they think they're going to be, you know, the the event's going to be hijacked by these by Josephson and, and Pete, and that they want to just get up there and take over the conference and start talking about the paranormal because obviously they must be raving lunatics if they chase after this stuff. I, I can't imagine for what purpose 
you would feel that their other numerous accomplishments and that their intelligence is diminished by the fact that they look for this. Well, number one, like you said, you get a guy that's a Nobel Prize winner. Obviously, he's no slouch. You have the other guy that was um, co-authored the book with the guy that made the topic mm-hmm. prevalent. I mean, they're there to talk about the physics of that particular thing. What they do outside of that should be irrelevant. It, it's not like uh, Dr. Brian Josephson is out there with a flashlight and a tape recorder, you know, running into old haunted pubs trying to prove that there's a ghost. I mean, this is somebody who's doing very high-level work that I can't even pretend to comprehend. You know, Moniz probably has a better shot of it than I do, but he's doing, you know, he's doing actually real scientific work. And he's trying to bridge that gap between the common paranormal experience and the scientific proof of its existence. And I've always commended him for that. I've always thought that anybody that's willing to do that is definitely taking the right step because you need to be – you can't be the proof one way or another. You have to be the bridge in belief, if you get what I'm saying. You can't be – you're not going to be able to show up and – Say, here you go, everybody believe this, or here you go, everybody stop believing it because of this. All you can do is be the bridge into people's transition from one school of thought to the other. I got a quote for you, and it goes like this. As long as we are headed towards the unknown, we are headed in the right direction. And that's by Albert Einstein. He didn't know what he was talking about either. He would have been disinvited to this conference, I'm pretty sure. He probably would have. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if a patent clerk salary could have flown him to the event either. So, but that's. Uh, I suppose that's the. I don't know the bias that's developed with the business of science and the business of academia, where no longer can, you know, a a, a guy growing up in a log cabin become president. No longer can. Somebody who works on a farm uh, develop new ways of agriculture. You know, it's not like that anymore. You have to be somebody who is born into the scientific pursuit, and you have to be somebody that follows that path. And coming out of it as an applicable as an applicable approach is no longer viewed as correct. Which is amazing because, you know, as we've as you mentioned before, necessity is the mother of invention. Like I necessity said, the, is the mother of education, too. Correct. I mean, the Wright brothers, a couple of bicycle repairmen, you know, uh, bicycle mechanics ma- making powered flight. You know, I, I could go on and on. The Wright, the Wright brothers were just, they didn't really. Okay, Marconi. No, no, all of them. No. It was the ancient aliens. They're yeah. the ones that chose. Okay, that but you, you see my point. Most of the advances that we've had in a lot of our sciences have been put forward by non-scientists. Well, if you'd like to chime in on the discussion, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. I know this is going to be a topic that the listeners out there uh, would want to speak on the idea of being disinvited to a scientific conference because you believe in the paranormal. I almost wish that the attendees of this conference, the people who were already you know, slated to either go and attend or go to speak, uh, that they would kind of rally around 
Josephson and Pete and say, hey, if they're not going, we're not going either. Uh, mainly because it is such a minor issue to disinclude them from the event for. Uh, I mean, certainly to us, it's the whole world to have the paranormal pursued scientifically, but it's only a small portion of what they do, and to negate the rest of their work is like saying, you know, I... Like somebody comes up with a cure for cancer but also is into hunting ghosts. Would would that person be shunned? I can't... It's almost like I want to make a, a correlation of... It's definitely a prejudice, but it's it's such a close-minded president. It's almost like it, it, it's almost like it has to border on almost racism. You know what I mean? Where you've essentially distinguished yourself as being just a, a, a it's a hateful thing to 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 do this. It's, it's it's well, it's a hateful thing. And what is hate based on? Ignorance. True. Okay. I mean, I hate some people, but it's not, it has nothing to do with ignorance. Well, because they're ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, again, let me read that quote to you again. This was the letter that was sent to Brian Josephson, a Nobel Prize winner for physics. It has come to my attention that one of your principal research interests is the paranormal. In my view, it would not be appropriate for someone with such research interests to attend a scientific conference. And the letter to David Pete, Ph.D., said, It has come to my attention that you are the author of books on Jungian synchronicity and quantum physics and on connections between Native American Indian thought and modern physics. In my view, it is not appropriate for an author of such books to attend a scientific conference. Each time I read it, I get more and more angry because it's just so ignorant. It's so... Correct. And this is something that you face all the time. You know, I, I don't have to worry Daily. about this. I occasionally will get somebody when I talk about the show, when I talk about the work that we do. Although I have to say, and uh, sorry to interrupt, it's been getting a lot better over, I would say, the last five years. A lot more, I mean, back 10 years ago, when people found out about this working, when I was working, you know, I had the same types of reactions. In the past five years, I got a lot more people coming up, asking me questions, looking for more information, and actually looking themselves looking into the these things on their own. Well, is that because in, in that period of time, have you become more willing to talk about it, and in the past you wouldn't have brought it up? Or was it something that in the past, you know, if the situation arose where you had the chance to reveal that information, you would? No, I think what it is is because of the exposure that it's been given in our media, it's no, but a, lot, I mean, but, a lot more prevalent than what it was. So, a lot more people are seeing stuff now. You know, before you had you know only a handful of uh, outlets that would even put on the most basic of paranormal stuff. Now things are even more in depth. For twenty we, years, all you had was in search of. Yeah, or and ten years ago, or even before that, sightings and mm -hmm. the the odd show here and there. Now we're inundated with stuff on multiple cable stations about all kinds of things. People are being exposed to it. Educated people and uh, people in the science field are actually seeing stuff and going, hey, I've always been told that, but that looks like this and, the, you know, I'm hearing this thing out of my own ears, so I want to know more. Their own curiosity is like, 
okay, I've been told this, and now I'm seeing something. I want some some more uh, material to make my own decisions, and that leapfrogs them into reading books, looking at further shows, and doing their own due diligence in the sense of saying, well, maybe there is a little something to it. So I guess you're looking into it. Makes sense as a scientist. Let me know what you find. Well, but I mean, how did you have to approach it back then, back before it was so uh, popular? Did you? I just didn't generally. You, you didn't reveal the information. Well, I, I didn't hide it either. I mean, how would it come up? Somebody would hear that you're involved in maybe a, an investigation or? A lot of the times when I was working in the lab on particular, you know, like UFO landing cases, I was okay. using a particular instrument. What are you analyzing? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, it's a soil from a UFO case. And, huh? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I start showing them what results would happen. And, oh, huh, you know, well, maybe, you know. But the, you still got the other people that, you know, would derail things, you know, without even bothering to look. Well, I'm, that's nothing that is... Well, yeah, why are you wasting our equipment and time, our time on that? It's like, yeah. well, I'm getting results. Well, that doesn't matter. Well, that's scientific of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can only imagine, like, uh, you you would have to tiptoe... I mean, you could kind of figure out pretty quickly who you have to tiptoe around when dealing with this stuff. Um, what kind of support did you get from the, the higher-ups? I mean, obviously you're See, using their equipment. So. Uh, that's just it. I went directly to the higher-ups and let them know up front. I don't care what all of the other little subordinates think. I don't work for them. I work for the people up above. Mm-hmm. So that that's how that went down. As long as I did the material, did the testing on my own time and took care of the cost of the materials that I used, which, believe it or not, can get quite expensive. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I had the money that I had spent on all the stuff I had done now, I'd have a very nice house. But um, the point being is I, I find the answers I got far more valuable. So in the last five or so years, as you said, though, it's it's been something where it's been more of an open discussion. Do you feel that when, uh, say, a new person comes to work in the lab, do you need to kind of – Quantify yourself as being, hi, I'm Matt, I do this, I do this, and I also look into the paranormal. No. Uh, well, I have various paranormal things up in on my desk, and people, oh, what's that? And I, I'll explain to them. I explain to them what I do. And it's like, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Uh, you know, I don't try and push things on them. Like I said, especially the laboratory I'm in now, uh, you've met one or two of them that, uh, you know, I work with that are into this as well. So I am mm-hmm. uh, fortunate that the company I am at has no problem with me doing it, and I'm fairly well supported, like I said, in the past five years. But well, other companies have not been as, um, well, I've had supporters there, but some people, the old guard, if you know what I mean. Well, also, though, too, uh, in the last five years, you've become more uh, prolific in this field for that work. I mean... <clears throat> Excuse me. You're somebody that did a lot of very excellent work in the shadows for many years. You, you yeah. know, you weren't. You'd be contributing to other people's work, and you'd be doing, you know, your role in somebody else's research, but you weren't really out there collecting all the credit for it. Right. Within My the, name wasn't on the books, but I helped them do everything. Yeah. But now, as in the last five years, you know, you're here every week. Television. You know, there's all these different avenues that that put your name and face out there and and now it's almost like 
if a lab did come to you and said to you, all right, Matt, we love the work that you do here. You do a great job. Uh, you're a valuable member of the team, but we're afraid of the reputation that our company is going to get for this work that you do in the paranormal. How would you handle that? With a lawyer. Really? Yeah, because that's discrimination. I mean, would you try to maybe go back to the way it was before where you kind of did this stuff on your own and you, you kept it to yourself and it wasn't something that you were, you know, they didn't turn on the History Channel and see you, but you were still able to pursue this avenue uh, outside of work or would you? I mean, as long as I'm not uh, using company time and stuff, it sh that should not be an issue. If, it's, if they're penalizing me for something I do outside on my own time, Oh yeah, they yeah, will be speaking to a lawyer. We're in a different, a different uh, society now. When you look at when somebody can get a job or not based on whether or not they have pictures of them, you know, bleep faced on Facebook, we're in a different society. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, we have a call on the line. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good evening, gentlemen. The uh, I listen to your show all the time. Actually, when I'm driving home from work. Um, that scenario that you were talking about where the, the guy was disinvited because mm -hmm. he practiced or he did research as a paranormal, mm -hmm. I think, well, you probably know this already, I think every discipline has that bias against somebody who goes against what, for instance, engineers would probably disinvite an engineer who, uh, you know, Blue pigeons or something. They all have that bias. If there's one little thing that might yeah. negatively affect your entire field in somebody's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, the uh, example that I can give you is <clears throat> archaeology, which is what I'm interested in. You heard the theory, including an MIT scholar who said that the Sphinx in Egypt was not made three or four thousand years ago, that it's much older. You're talking the work of Dr. Paul Horowitz. Very good. And he said that when the Sphinx was made, the climate in that area was different. And what we're dealing with is not wind damage to the Sphinx, it's water erosion. Water erosion. Well, huh. do you know they wouldn't let him even read his paper? Correct. All the Egyptologists circled the wagon and tried to portray him as some kind of a crackpot because he went against the theory which they've made and lived by for the last 150 years, and that's the way it is, and they don't want any changes. They wouldn't even accept the work which he conclusively proved that it was water erosion. And I, I think to this day they still will not accept his report. I mean, it, it even goes beyond just things that are considered a science. I mean, even look at music and, and how hard it was for those who might have played rock and roll to be accepted <laughs> at a time when, you know, the Pat Boone was the predominant music yep, on the radio. Yep, it, there is In every occupation or science, it, it, there is a bias against, I guess it's against change or new ideas. Very good. But what's even worse than that is not the fact that there's that bias, but the fact that they're willing to undermine other people's work and oh, smear, smear that. Absolutely. Uh, 
the quintessential expert on Egypt was a man who said that the pyramids were the graves of pharaohs. Mm -hmm. No pharaoh has ever been found in a pyramid, period. There are no exceptions. But yet, for a hundred years, no one would challenge him on this. But then they obviously had to because they started finding tombs. Not in pyramids, but in tombs. And finally, it, it, although his work was not discredited, it was changed to fit the, the new reality. I mean, you look at the Great Pyramid, when, when you see a cross-section of it in most places, it'll say the Queen's Tomb and the King's and the Pharaoh's Tomb. Those weren't tombs. They were kind of just... They were chambers. Yeah, they depositories chambers. for yes. right. But yeah, for, for almost 100 years, People said, oh, yes, the pharaoh was buried in there at one time. Well, if he was in there, what happened to him? <laughs> you know. Well, you have the robbers that broke in through these tunnels and this and that. Oh, yeah, sure. But the, you're missing one other key point that's in every, or not in every uh, pyramid, and that is the total lack of any hieroglyphs. All of the absolutely. internal things are absolutely unmarked. Absolutely. Now, now that is that back then was a big no-no because you needed all of those markings because of their belief systems for protection. If those were to be tombs, those things should have been ornately decorated. Yes, because it helped them in the, in the journey. Right. Every tomb of every king or pharaoh had uh, basically what was um, the Egyptian Book of the Dead on the walls. Yes. And uh, none of these pyramids have any, not even one one item out of that on any of the walls. Now, the so-called sarcophagus that's in the king's chamber is uh, bigger than the doorway. So evidently it was put in there first and the, and the chamber was built around it. Correct. Kind of a funny way to bury a pharaoh, isn't it? Well, if they're preparing <laughs> it for, for an event to have, you know, that's to happen ahead. I can understand building it, and, but uh, one of the other theories about that sarcophagus it was it wasn't meant to bury a person. It was meant to bury materials, mm -hmm. like uh, in particular scrolls and other right. other. Uh, it was a supposed to be a repository or a type of um, special holding place for knowledge. Right, and of course, although the Egyptian government will not let excavations be done. There is a chamber underneath the Sphinx, underneath the, Sphinx. Underneath the right hand uh, paw of the Sphinx. Yeah, as prophesized by um, Edgar the Casey. Yeah, the sleeping prophet Edgar Casey. Right. Correct. Well, and what I always thought was interesting is, you know, for for decades, people questioned how a civilization like the Egyptians could build the pyramids using manpower, and yep. then when scientists are able to come out and prove how it could be done. Uh, and they say, no, look, they could have done this. They could have hauled these blocks. They could have built it in this manner. But nobody ever addressed the question as to why. Why did they have to build it in that manner? For what reason? And then when they start linking the pyramids of Egypt to the pyramids of South America yep. and all these different – and that's when even the scientists that are involved, the Egyptologists and everybody that's involved with it now, shut it down completely. And they want you to think it's coincidence that yeah, two different civilizations yeah. were building pyramids. That, well, that they were, yeah, that there was no cross-referencing. Uh, well, most people don't realize, where is the, where 
in what location, what country, has the most pyramids? What location has the most pyramids? Correct. Uh, not Egypt. Correct. Not Egypt. Um, let's see. The Mayans built pyramids. They did, but that answer is also incorrect. The That's correct all. answer Dick is... Dick Clark Productions. They no. built more pyramids than anybody. <laughs> well over 300 of them in China. Really? There you really, go. Really. Some of the largest in the world, actually. You know, and one of the things, I know I got you guys off the track of... No, that's fine. Yeah, that's fun discussion tonight. But uh, one of the things that they've never been satisfactorily able to explain is the fact that the Olmecs uh, carved these huge heads which have Negroid features. They wouldn't have carved them unless they'd seen some. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen some of those heads? Yep, uh, you're talking in uh, Guatemala, yep. Belize, yep. and um, into they're, Panama. They're, yes, they're, they they're, also have some that have Asian type of do. features. Correct. They do showing and, bearded people. Now, bear in mind that sorry to interrupt, but all Native Americans have very little facial hair and absolutely. chest hair, and these things were shown with full beards. Yes, in fact, there's a hall of faces. And I can't remember the name of the city it's in. Um, it's not in Palenque. It's it's, uh, it's in one of those cities where the, when the sunlight hits it, you can see a collection of faces, and some of them are European. But you have to have the sunlight shining on them to see them clearly. And again, they wouldn't have carved those faces unless they seen those, unless they had seen those people. It, to me, it's crazy that uh, they, they still try and compartmentalize all these cultures. Well, they have to. In order to prove that their theories are correct, They have to. Com- you can't have cross-fertilization of cultures because then that undoes all the theory. I mean, suppose that the Mayans built pyramids because they learned how to do it from the Egyptians. Oh, yeah. that doesn't fly. Especially when you have uh, chemical analysis that shows that uh, most of the pharaohs had large amounts of cocaine in their system. Oh so yes, yeah, you know, that that was and yeah. tobacco and and uh, tobacco, and uh, obviously they were using cocaine not for medicinal purposes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I you know you weren't I aware of that, Tim. <laughs> no, I mean it, it's a hell of a drug. I, no, I, but I, the point being is that the coca leaves only grow in South exactly. America. No, I understand, I understand yeah. the, the reference here, but uh, I guess maybe in in the fact that a lot of this information is now being questioned by, yes. I, I guess you could say our branch of science, you know, people who are looking for the, the paranormal connections amongst things, they're still going to try and spin control it. They're still going to try and come up with, even if they accept the fact that, okay, pyramids here, pyramids there, similar, yeah. something must have happened. They're going to explain it away with being, oh, well, there were, you know, land bridges and Pangea, and maybe they had water travel that we didn't know <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah, sure. Um, you've heard, well, look what they've done to the, the, the UFO situation, where airline pilots and Air Force fighter pilots of many nations have chased these things and been unable to catch them. The airline pilots have seen them hovering right outside their, you know, under their planes, on the side of the plane, over the plane. One of the best reports apparently was turned in not that long ago. 
simultaneously by three airline crews, mm -hmm. a Spanish airline crew, a French airline crew, and a British airline crew, all saw the same UFO from three different angles, above, from the side, and below. Now, I, uh, are you telling me that it was a mass, uh, you know, mass hallucination, or that they all lied? I tend to doubt it. Sure, and I don't know if you've seen the documentary Out of the Blue by James Fox, uh, but we, we had him on the program to talk about this, and, and, and he was talking about exactly the same thing, about there's so much, uh, you know, so many of these reports that tend to back each other up yep. for no reason. I mean, we have, we have Iraqi pilots who are saying that they saw this and backing up what Americans are seeing. Yep. And I, I know uh, an individual who used to be on the early warning Alaska, you know, the early warning system. He was on the dew line. Yeah. Yeah. And he was tracking a UFO coming over Russian territory, being chased by two Russian fighter pilots, two Russian fighters. And as soon as they got to the, you know, the yellow line, the Russians veered off. And the Americans scrambled two fighters to chase the same thing. And he says, let me tell you something. It was not a balloon. It was not a flock of geese. It was outrunning jet fighters. And it was solid metal. He said, you know, uh, we were trained to tell the difference between weather balloons, flocks of birds, and solid metallic objects. He said, and that thing was a solid metallic object. Right after that, all the people in that radar station were, quote-unquote, debriefed. They had to sign a form saying, you saw nothing. It's a non-disclosure. And you, unless you sign the form, you'll be in big trouble. Oh, yeah. All this stuff goes on. But, you know, oh, hopefully someday somebody will land. And well, yeah, then, then try and deny that. Try and try that. To, well, and then hopefully uh, they won't be, as Mr. Hawkins said, looking for resources. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know why it took you so long to call in and, and share in the discussion with us. We hope you'll call more often. Well, if I get a chance to, I will. But usually I, uh, you know, get out of work and I get home and I'm... Ready to go to bed. It's 1130. You know. <laughs> and, and knowing that you have an interest in archaeology, are you on the Internet? Do you have Internet access? Yes, I do. You have to check out our history project. It's our friend Craig's venture, uh, and, and they do a show every week uh, just on on digging, on archaeology, yep. the latest news yep. in archaeology, and then they have their regular uh, show each week, which is it's just a, it's a great program, and I, I think you'd love it. Also check out the website Forbidden Archaeology and the book Forbidden Archaeology. I have that book. Ah, okay. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for checking okay. in, and, and we'll You're talk welcome. to you soon. Thank you. Have a great night. That's why I think we have the best audience. I, we definitely have the we best audience. We have some very intelligent people in our audience. And we have people who, like this caller here, aren't willing to just accept what they're spoon-fed. And they're willing to do the work and do the legwork and get out there and do the research themselves to find the information. Yeah, that's what we, I mean, you don't have to believe us, but, you know, if you go out and look for yourself, then we're doing our job right. Exactly. We're, yeah, we're not here to tell you. We're here to make you want to find out. 
That's our job. All right, well, next week we will hopefully be talking with Dr. Jeff Teal about his metaphysics class at Ashland University because we want to find out more about that. That's something that we want to see happen in more more campuses across the country, teaching the paranormal in a college atmosphere, helping it gain that academic respect, which might help it gain some of that scientific respect, fingers crossed. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.